I'm Jay Farner, CEO of Quicken Loans, America's premier home purchase lender. We've created a new way to protect you from unpredictable interest rates. Our exclusive Rate Shield approval. First, we lock your interest rate for up to 90 days. Then, if rates go up, your rate stays locked. But if rates go down, your rate drops. Either way, you win. Call us today at 800-QUICKEN or go to rocketmortgage.com. Rate Shield approval only valid on certain 30-year fixed rate loans. Call for cost information and conditions. Equal housing lender. License in all 50 states. NMLS number 3030. Additional conditions or exclusions may apply. Howdy, y'all. Welcome into the Bird Gang Blitz. We're having a pre-training camp uh, preview for you here. I've got uh, my co-host, Johnny, joining with me. We've got a lot to break down for you here in the next hour. Uh, first of all, John, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great, Blake. It's, it's great to be back, and we have a ton to cover, which is exciting and, and usually not the case in mid-July. Some for good, and, and some obviously will get to the bad. Absolutely. Yeah. And we were going to lead off with just the entire Steve Kime situation, but we had a, kind of some breaking news a few hours ago. A lot of Cardinals fans had wondered if they were going to bring in a safety. Some of the names like Kenny Vaccaro, Eric Reed was out there. Trey Boston is a guy who made the most sense. He prayed previously under Steve Wilkes. as was a top 10 rated pro football focus safety last year. Um, seemed like he was in a good contract, uh, contract year, was looking to get paid, has not found the market that he was looking for. Um, Cardinals held strong on him, brought in another safety today and and uh, as of a few hours ago, Trey Boston is now a member of the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, John, let's break this down. What does this mean for Arizona? What does this mean for the situation? And was this kind of always inevitable that Boston was going to be wearing Cardinal red? No, I don't think it was inevitable uh, by any stretch of the imagination. It, it always seemed like a good fit. Uh, and they had him in for a visit, I believe it was mid-June. And you thought, okay, this will be you know a perfect pairing. And then nothing happened after his visit. A couple days went by. You didn't hear of anything here with, with any other team. And basically tweeted out that they rolled out the red carpet for me, uh, but the offer was very, very disrespectful. So clearly thinking um, more of himself than the Cardinals or, or frankly, um, any other team did. And so there wasn't a market for him, and there's not a market for any of the other safeties. And so I initially thought after he tweeted that, well, there's, you know, there's no coming back from that. They're going to have to move on and look at some other options. It's unfortunate that he feels that way, so on and so forth. And then the news broke this afternoon that he had signed a one-year contract. I, I believe, I'm assuming it's the same one-year contract that he uh, initially turned down. And it syncs up pretty nicely uh, that you know, Mike Mitchell was set to visit or was visiting today. Um, and Trey Boston turns around and signs his contract seemingly before um, his deal was taken off the table. And it's hard to believe I've seen this floated on Twitter. That was the only contract he was offered this entire offseason, which is just unbelievable. But you know what? It makes all the sense of the world. He's got a relationship with Steve Wilkes, the head coach, uh, had a great run uh, previously in Carolina before having a career year with the San Diego Chargers last year. I, I believe over 70 tackles, uh, five interceptions, which was uh, in the top five for safeties among interceptions, uh, had had solid marks from pro football focus. If you watch that Charger defense at the end of the year, uh, it played great as a unit. He was impactful. Uh, and so you probably thought to himself, I had a career year last year. I hit the free agency market. I didn't get paid. What more do I have to do? And now he's going to attempt to do it all over again and seem like he could find his niche with Arizona and maybe stick long-term. You look what San Diego, or excuse me, San Diego, I want to call him San Diego, the LA Chargers now did in the first round in signing Derwin James, which essentially uh, was his replacement 
uh, James has, you would think, a much larger upside than Boston. Boston is a former uh, late-round pick that has made you know a nice career for himself. We'll see what happens. But, Blake, you and I were talking off air. The safety market in general, unless you're kind of a rangy, do-it-all, free safety, hybrid player uh, that can play maybe a little slot corner, the tr- Traditional safeties, you're seeing less and less inter- getting that those big money contracts. We saw Tyron Matthew overplay his hand. The Cardinals cut him. Houston signed him to a one-year contract for less money than the Cardinals were going to pay him. You wonder if Tyron regrets uh, not taking that pay cut from the Arizona Cardinals. Eric Reed, who I, I think would be a great fit on a lot of teams, only 26 years, years old, has not gotten um, – any kind of contract to say the least you, you figure some, some plays into that with regard to the, the national anthem, the Colin Kaepernick situation, how he was one of the you know big supporters of that took a knee. I think it has more to do with, with the position of safety, not being targeted. Um, Kenny Vaccaro, former first rounder of the saints that I think was maybe the defensive rookie of the year, or, or at least in the running had a very nice rookie season productive on a team. Uh, I believe last year uh, that, that went to uh, the divisional round. It just, uh, nice, solid veteran players um, that just have no market right now because of the way teams are switching up their defenses. They're playing three, four, five corners at one time. You want your linebackers to play that hybrid linebacker safety, like you see from Dayon Buchanan, where they're six one, six two, and can run you know four five forties. You wonder if the safety position is going to have to go through a little bit of a reflux. I know you know the likes of Ha Ha Clinton Dixon. He wants a big contract from Green Bay that he hasn't received. So it's an interesting market all around. Unless you're like the Malcolm Jenkins of the world um, or the Errol Thomas is in, in your prime, that you can cover essentially the entire back half of the field and make spectacular interceptions, play the run, basically do everything well at almost a Hall of Fame level, you're not going to get the big money deal. And we've seen that. And the Cardinals have benefited from that in a big way. Um, they've got Steve Kime obviously has a great reputation of signing these players in July. Although Steve Kime isn't currently in the office, he laid the groundwork to get this done. Trey Boston has a, a great relationship with Steve Wilkes, knows the system, knows the scheme. We'll be able to bring some, some younger guys along. Now you start to look at the Cardinals secondary, specifically their safety with Antoine, their safety group with Antoine Bethay, Buda Baker, and now Trey Boston, those are, th- are three of the better safeties, I think, in the NFC West now. What's happened with Seattle's secondary, I don't think San Francisco's secondary is all that great. The Rams have great corners, but I'm not overly impressed with their safeties. The Cardinals have a nice stable of veteran and youth safeties now. You've got somebody who is still entering their prime in Buda Baker. Trey Boston, you would think, is in his prime, and Antoine Bethea is kind of the savvy veteran of the group, um, the Rashad Johnson, if you will, that's a group I think now you can just leave alone, don't touch it, use them interchangeably. Uh, I think Trey Boston would, would probably best serve playing a little bit on special teams as well. Now, if you can find potentially a second or third corner, play opposite Patrick Peterson. I know they traded for Jamar Taylor. You've got Brandon Williams. What you've got is a nice stable of athletes and a coach, a head coach that uh, has a specialty with with secondary. So I feel great about this vision I've about that I think the defense is only going to benefit from it now if we could get you know a little bit of of you know meat up front if we can get a couple standout players up front to develop like a Robert Kendichi I think you could talk about this defense again as a top five unit 
I totally agree. And I think what's interesting also about when you're talking about the secondary is with how Steve Wilkes is going to play because of the four, three defense, because he's only going to use three linebackers. You're going to probably see those three safeties on the field a lot. You're not going to just have a, you know, your two safeties and then bring in a guy on third down Buda Baker. What this is going to mean for him, I think is that he's going to be able to fill that Tyron Matthew role, be able to move all over the defense and be able to kind of man that nickel position on third down, which he did a tremendous job with that last year in coverage. Uh, it'll also allow you to have two guys who are now kind of able to be ball hawks and be deep, which is in Bethea, who's a, a true veteran. He's still playing really solid at, I believe, 34 years old. And then you get a young 26-year-old guy in Trey Boston who's able to play on the line, make some of the tackles. There's been some questions about, uh, you know, if his tackling ability is up to par with the rest of the other players uh, on the Cardinals or just overall. But even if you just need to have him be kind of that center fielder, being able to kind of play deep, um, he's shown that from last year that he's got all of the physical tools and he also is going to have motivation. And for me personally, I believe that this deal or something like it would get done with the Cardinals. I think it was more a question of if another team was going to make a move on Trey Boston before this with the Cardinals was more of if another team had a guy who got injured in camp or if the Arizona was going to hold out. Eventually, though, it did feel like something was going to get done because the background history with Wilkes, um, the perfect fit. And I do think that this is a great opportunity now for Boston because he's coming into a spot where Bethea only has one year left on his deal. He comes in with a secondary with Patrick Peterson. We'll be manning one side of the field. He'll get some chance, uh, the chance to you know make a, make a play on the ball. And you've got Buda Baker who's going to be on the other side. You may end up seeing that if Trey Boston can go ahead and you know deliver, maybe that contract that he was looking for, maybe that's a possibility for into the future with him in Arizona. Because you know I think some of it also with these GMs is he never played a down for Arizona. He hadn't proved anything. Uh, it's not like it's kind of a Justin Pugh situation where there's guys who wouldn't be available to take his place. Um, what we did see from this year is what the safety market is. Teams focused on the defensive line, the pass rushers. They focused on guys who could make plays on the ball. Even Tyron Matthew was one of those guys. He's a, kind of a on, more of the on-the-ball player before. And then the backups, <laughs> the I should say the, the back-deep players uh, – like the secondary, the Bostons, they have not seen that type of market. Cardinals also signed a kind of backup special teamer and Arthur Motes. Um, he's also probably going to get a good shot at uh, potentially filling in in the Mike linebacker role, I would think, especially if, you know, you're Josh Bynes, who's listed as the starter there, gets hurt. Or if you don't see some of the same progress from Hassan Reddick and from, you know, the other side with Daryl Buchanan, if he's in a contract year coming off of a surgery and injury last year, but he seems ready to man the defense. Uh, so with all the positivity of Trey Boston, we talked and mentioned about with Steve Kime, this would normally be kind of your kind time sign of getting a solid young veteran player on a one-year deal. But Steve Kime was not in the office to make it. We heard over 4th of July weekend, the news came out, he had been pulled over for a DUI. Originally, the the entire thing behind it was that he had pretended to be someone else but found out later that the report was wrong that wasn't true it still is not a good look with a 0.19 the extreme dui laws in arizona will mean that that's jail time for him he's you know spent some time in jail already and he's suspended for the team for five weeks two hundred thousand dollars in pay also has to take some mandatory um drink uh, mandatory classes <laughs> after all of this drinking and driving and it's just a it's not a good situation at all and there was just a negativity it's kind of a stain on the organization uh is what a lot of people are saying there's even you know fire steve kime tweets that were being sent out uh, john let's start and break down some of all of this what does this kind of mean at least for the cardinals for the future and then for steve kime because he's coming off of perhaps his most impressive draft as a general manager of the cardinals and goes in and brings this entire distraction in to the team heading into camp 
Well, let me start by saying that, you know, after this news broke and we found found out that it was, in fact, an extreme DUI, uh, we found out what his blood alcohol content was, uh, and we found out that he would have to spend uh, 48 hours in, in jail. Um, I thought that the team was going to, to part ways with him. I did not think he'd be able to keep his job through this. I thought, based on their kind of zero tolerance, tolerance policy that they put in place with Michael Floyd, I know, I know that was a little bit of a different situation. But again, at the same time, you know, I, I didn't think that the, you could make, you know, it's not great. Any kind of DUI is not a good thing. But the fact that it was an extreme DUI, that he had no business being behind the wheel at all, and then the, the stuff that was leaking out about the, the, uh, incorrect information that he was giving the, the police. I, I thought that he was going to lose his, his job. I didn't, I didn't want it to happen. I didn't root for it. Um, but the optics were really bad. So I give the Cardinals credit for letting this process play out, uh, not play out in the media, play out in the legal system. Uh, they had to correct the legal system, the police, um, you know, Phoenix had to correct themselves, make it known exactly what Steve Kime said. Um, but you know, anytime Blake, you see your, your general manager, your football team, after you just drafted seemingly your franchise quarterback, you're going into a new era. You got a contract extension. What was it a year ago? Uh, you see him one being questioned by police officers. He's completely inebriated. And then several weeks later, you see him entering a jail cell or entering, you know, jail for 48 hours. That's the last time you see your GM and you won't see him again until August 21st. That's, that's very bad optics for this team, for this franchise and so it's nice now to have a couple free agent signings that can kind of get your mind off of it. Um, I think that I think this is really kind of his last chance. You really kind of get only one of these mulligans if you're an NFL executive, a coach, that kind of thing. We know that players can have hiccups depending on how great you are. Unfortunately, is how you know much leeway, how much leverage, how much rope you're going to get. But you know, Steve Kime, unfortunately has put himself in a, in a position where he has to do better. I believe he will do better. I think he'll come out of this five weeks, not cured by any means, because clearly he's got, you know, a drinking problem, uh, an alcohol problem that he's got to get under control. You mentioned it earlier, Blake, he had a previous uh, arrest back in the nineties when he was an athlete himself. And so you always used to hear about jokes that, that Steve, would make publicly or, or Bruce Arians that they would, they were drinking buddies. They like to drink together and that, look, there's nothing wrong with that. But at the same time, you put yourself in a position where you're getting behind a vehicle and you're inebriated and you know, you expect then to turn around and be the GM of a, you know, a billion dollar, a billion dollar company, a billion dollar industry like the Arizona Cardinals. It's just not going to happen. And so I think this will be his last chance to turn it around I think it's a complete wake-up call. I wouldn't be surprised. I've seen this before. I'm a St. Louis Cardinal fan. We have uh, a broadcaster named Dan McLaughlin who's had two DUIs. Every time he gets a DUI, he comes back and he loses like 40 pounds. He gets suspended. He comes back. Um, Tony LaRusso, who is the St. Louis Cardinal manager, which I can kind of relate this to, uh, was suspended from the team, fell asleep behind the wheel of his car, came back, had a nice successful finish to his career in St. Louis. So you can turn things around. Many more instances. I know Jim Ursay of the, the Indianapolis Colts was suspended. President of the Colts took time off when he was dealing with uh, an addiction to, I believe it was, medication, uh, abusing prescription drugs, that kind of thing. Uh, many more instances that those are just the ones that come off the top of my head. But at the same time, I think Steve will rebound. But again, you see it with guys like Josh Gordon, with other players. This is not something that you can just fix 
in five weeks. And Ken Summers, the Arizona Republic, has a, has a great article. Go check it out now, basically stating that, you know, Steve, the, the season isn't going to be lost if you, if you decide to take more time for yourself. If you go to Michael Bidwell and say, I need more time, there are bigger things here than, than the Arizona Cardinals on his end. It's his life. It's his well-being. It's his family. It's his kids. So I hope he takes time to weigh everything. I think I know that probably football is the best medicine for him right now. But getting healthy, going to his, you know, his classes that he needs to go to, uh, I think will be in his best, you know, interest at this time. But very unfortunate, Blake, that you know, from a national perspective, this is a franchise that had a ton of momentum going forward. You mentioned it, great off season, really in Josh Rosen. We've covered it, you know, in great lengths. Steve Kime had a hell of a draft, uh, and then unfortunately made just the worst decision of his career on uh 4th of July this past season and he's going to he's going to spend a while paying for it but at the very least he needs to get his he needs to get himself healthy. Yeah, no, and Summers is, did a really great job of breaking it down about perhaps when you take a look at the, you know, if you want to write off at least that people can be dumb and make mistakes for that one with college. I mean, it was about over 20 years ago for Kimes last UI which is why it hasn't counted at all um, toward anything with Arizona. It still is an example at least though of we, you know, can't even mention this for that one. It might be an isolated incident, a terrible error in judgment just in one time, or it might be a symptom of if there's struggles or other issues anywhere else in life. And so when we start talking about, you know, pushing out, don't be that guy. And it's just some of the messaging that the team, the GMs sent out for that. Like, you're right. Things have to change where you're no longer going to be able to have that same messaging for the team. You're not going to be able to, you know, go ahead and say, Hey, don't be that guy and have any type of a moral high ground. So I think that might be interesting when he does come back of seeing, because I, I, I do agree with you. If there is a second opportunity, a second chance, you know, there's, we've talked about this as guys who are waiting in the wings. We've seen with Terry McDonough's had a GM interview, I believe with the Niners. Um, Quentin Harris is also a guy who he's apparently in Steve Kimes absence has had the year of Steve Kime a lot. He's the, or I should say Steve Wilkes. We've got too many Steves. He's there of Steve Wilkes a lot. He's the director of pro scouting. There's more opportunities for that one. So when you're in this position, at least for that one, and you make a terrible choice, then you have to be able to show that not only if you're going to be able to have that redemption from it, you need to basically take the right steps, make the right choices. And we saw that with Michael Floyd, he, and both he and his agent were, you know, not taking any of those steps. Floyd especially was, didn't even tell the team about it for that. Go through the proper protocol. We got to see from Steve Kime that he went through, follow with the steps for who to contact. And you can tell he was pretty inebriated in the video that was released from the Chandler PD. Um, he had to hold his head up with his hands to them, trying to follow the, follow the finger with that. He kept moving his head. So just the fact that we did find out that it was uh, almost an extreme, uh, I guess you could say like almost a super extreme DUI, missed it by just a little point. It's very possible that he going to the station and not taking the test there and having the blood test done might have been a big part of, you know, why he ended up getting off with only just the small amount of time in jail versus the super extreme DUI. So it's an area that's very disappointing. I think what you have to do as a Cardinals fan is you have to be able to kind of take it as an open mind. Like you said, there's always opportunity for a second chance, but you can only get so many second chances. And I would agree with Kent. Josh Gordon right now is taking a lot of extra time off from the Cleveland Browns to kind of get his head right. There's no suspension. There's no kind of falling back, but he's just got a lot of stress and pressure because his coping mechanism used to always be drinking. So, or being able to have drug use for Josh Gordon's case. So it'll be something to monitor going forward. But I think what a lot of Cardinals fans, at least who are worried about whether it's the future of the organization or concern, now that they have the quarterback in the fold, I think you can take a look at the reason why the Cardinals turned around, even before Steve Kine got there, was due to the fact that it changed ownership hands from 
Bill Bidwell to Michael Bidwell. And I think that's the biggest thing that we need to recognize is Michael is still out there. He's the one who's been getting this deal done along with their cap guy. And, uh, I believe it was Mike Disner to be able to get you know, Trey Boston signed to get Arthur Mote signed. And if anything happens with this David Johnson front over the next few weeks, uh, it'll be Michael Bidwell behind that again. So I think that's the biggest thing Cardinals fans can look up to is by having a prime NFL owner who's being able to make a lot of these different decisions. Uh, speaking of Bidwell, that was another area as far as things were getting hit all at once, as far as Bidwell had some very interesting kind of a commentary on one of the uh, Supreme Court judges getting appointed. Normally, you don't really hear that much about sports and politics. I mean, you know that there's a friendship between, I believe, Arizona Senator McCain and Larry Fitzgerald, but this is just something that kind of made national news, and it was a huge negative. Some people were even like being opposed to the Cardinals. John, what what was your feedback from all of that? It was like kind of a weird 48 hours, at least, that that the team went through just after this whole Kime DUI arrest. Yeah, can I... I just say at one point, can I just say at one point on the team's website, three of the top five headlines were David Johnson's holding out, Steve Kime was arrested, and Michael Bidwell was endorsing a political yeah. candidate, a Republican for that matter, um, with everything going on. Um, it was it was a very bizarre time for this team to be in the national media for things like that. We've always kind of viewed this franchise, at least since Michael Bidwell has has taken over, as they may have not always had the best on-field product, but they stayed away from that drama off the field. And listen, David Johnson's holdout, we'll get to it, was much to do about nothing. Uh, he's at, back at practice. We'll cover that. Steve's situation, obviously very serious. Michael's situation and, you know, the the um, the pub he gave for, I believe, one of his former college or high school friends, yeah, high, school, yep, yep. high school buddies is running for office. I think that's basically what it came down to was Michael's close with this individual. He pubbed him up on a local radio station. Was it the best idea given everything that's going on? Probably not. But is it any different than what a lot of these players are doing in their free time, in their off season. I hear a lot of people say, stick to football, Michael. Well, it's not like Michael's blasting this out on game day. Yes, he gave his, his p- political belief. Uh, you know, we see Jerry Jones today talking about, my players are going to stand for the national anthem if they're going to be the Dallas Cowboys. You know, they can always be worse. Uh, and I think that it was a slow time in the media. It was a slow time in the off season where, you know, that's where, uh, they kind of ran with this story. I think it'll have zero impact moving forward. I don't think we'll hear about it again. Um, but it was interesting that, you know, he decided to come out and say that. I think he probably, I don't know if he regrets it, but I think he probably underestimated the amount of attention that it would garner nationally. I mean, it was on every national broadcast that that I tune into for a couple days. And just kind of the backwards hypocrisy that, that people thought it, it dealt with, the fact that players can't speak their mind and here's an owner that's backing up a Republican. And if you're a Republican, you must support Donald Trump and the players are against Donald Trump. They can spin it, you know, every kind of which way. And we won't talk politics on this show, but perceived as a, <laughs> as a, as a free agent, um, you know, you want to be a destination in which players want to come play. And so I think Michael's got to be careful in which, you know, he's openly endorsing candidates on a football platform, which he's not doing. This was on his free time. This was on a radio station. They asked him about it. He brought it up. Um, now where I do think it was a slight mistake is to put it on the team's website. I'm not sure how that's super relevant. Uh, but again, he's probably just doing a solid for a, for a former buddy. He's not diehard. He's not on the campaign trail. He probably thinks he knows this individual and thinks he can do some good. There's nothing wrong with that. He owns the team. 
He gets to make these decisions. Michael Bidwell has been an exceptional owner for this franchise since he took over, you know, the day-to-day operations as the president of the, of the Arizona Cardinals in 2006. This is their most successful run in team history. It's not even close. Any, any fan that wants to push back on, on what he's done, just look at his record. Look at, you know, the division championships, the Super Bowl appearance. You know, I think they've got many more successful years here to come, fingers crossed. He's, he's a young guy who's active in the community, says and does all the right things. Makes you really kind of proud that he's your owner compared to a lot of the dumpster fires we've seen around the league, a la Carolina, what they've just dealt with with their owner, um, what's going on in Oakland with you know Al Davis all those years, everything that's gone on with Jerry Jones, uh, Washington situation. Meanwhile, Arizona Cardinals just continue to go about their business. It's been a tricky offseason with, with this situation and Steve's situation. But for me, I just I can't wait to just get back to football and put everything in the in the rearview mirror because honestly, if this stuff were to be taken or happening during the season, I still think Steve's would have gotten attention. But man, football just the on field product just dominates so much of what we consume from a national perspective. The these secondary highlights or these secondary stories, excuse me, I think just kind of fade away unless they come in the kind of the dead period of the off season, which is exactly what happened. Yeah, and I agree. And I, I think even with when you're talking about with the team website, like, you know, there's articles at least that they've had with, you know, Cardinals players and other senators and other, you know, whether it's even celebrities that came in. I think part of the issue that I had was not with even the fact that it was on the website. It was the fact that the timing of it was very, very much suspect because it was the nomination was announced. And then within a few hours, the story was up on the website. So it made it feel like it was much more of a proactive move as far as for getting behind it, putting it out on the website, kind of putting some information versus a reactive move where, oh, there's the support that was behind there. And then a couple of days later, being able to kind of come out with, here's the story behind it. I think people would have been a little bit less, maybe seen it as polarizing just because it would have been, again, it seemed like it was more of trying to push or trying to confirm that may have not even been the intention, at least of the owner. But the fact that it seemed like it was orchestrated, I think was part of an area where it, it, I can understand why some people were objecting to it. I do agree we've reached an area where things are very politically charged and, you know, Sometimes it's, you just have to recognize and know that. Uh, the other thing that was interesting about with Bidwell is with all of this question of politics and players speaking out is he had some interesting, there's two things. One was he had an interesting set of comments where he talked about how he's okay and he wants his players to be advocates and to be, even be political for that one. But he says that he doesn't want to have that be the case on Sundays or to use the field as a platform, which I think is an interesting type of perspective because on one hand, you could say that it's very limiting where as far as what people talk about with you know the anthem, the protest, some of that with players. On the other hand, you could also say that if you're advocating for it to be in every single place in all the different communities, all the interest groups all the time, and that's what you're pushing forward, but you don't want whatever your on-field product maybe be politically charged one way or the other, I can at least kind of understand some of that. It backs up very clearly with what the team did last year, where whereas other teams kind of chose to take a knee for that together, they kind of stood together, linked arms in a form of solidarity, which was a way that in a lot of ways, it wasn't really offensive or harmful to anyone in that sense. It was very team-driven. It was very sensitive to everyone at hand. I think that's ultimately where Michael can have his opinions and he can have his perspectives. But we have to remember, this is also the man who is an advocate of trading up for Josh Rosen. And when you're going to start talking about being controversial and political, then that's getting into just the tip of the iceberg with that. So this is a spot where I don't think that Cardinals fans should have any concern. I think that a lot of it, even though it is national news, is 
for a very strange reason. I think that that's where you kind of have to take a look at the balance of when we can take a look at accepting of a lot of those other different types of opinions, even if they don't agree with them, ultimately it just comes down to the fact that this is a sport, it's a game that we love, and it's the on-field product that people ultimately are going to care about. Um, and that's going to basically over uh, supersede anything else that's going on uh, with the team. All right, we're going to take a quick break here with the Bird Gang Blitz. Uh, coming back, we're going to talk a little bit about David Johnson. The man is finally back in camp. What does this mean for the Arizona Cardinals? And what does this mean for his contract? It's coming up here next on the Bird Gang Blitz. Hi, I'm Susan from Safeway. Are you ready for a road trip? You can save on gas by shopping at Safeway. It's easy. Shop at Safeway and earn gas reward points. Then save up to 20 cents per gallon at participating Chevron or Texaco stations or up to $1 per gallon at Safeway stations. That's right, up to $1 per gallon at Safeway stations just for shopping with us. Redeem your rewards at participating Chevron, Texaco, and Safeway gas stations. Limited to 25 gallons in a single fill-up. Other restrictions and exclusions apply. Visit store or Safeway.com for details. This is Susan from Safeway, and we'll see you soon. Pros in the know start with Lowe's. Because at Lowe's, pros save on tools they rely on to get the job done. Now get up to 35% off select DeWalt power tools and accessories, including the DeWalt 10-tool 20-volt cordless combo kit, now $529. That's $320 off. Plus, save 5% on eligible purchases every day when you use your Lowe's business credit account. So, pro, now that you know, start with Lowe's. DeWalt offer valid through 11-4. While supplies last, credit offer subject to credit approval. Can't be combined with other credit offers. Exclusions apply U.S. only. All right. And we're back on the Bird Gang Blitz. So, John, the only other thing I think we didn't talk about, and I know before we go into DJ, just to go over briefly, was Ricky Seals-Jones, who a lot of people are tapping for a kind of potentially a fantasy breakout season in Mike McCoy's new offense. Uh, he ended up getting arrested for trying to use the bathroom in Scottsdale. And it's just one of these kind of crazy, bizarre situations. There's a couple areas he's got a hearing that's coming up. It's going to be interesting if this will be similar to the Christian Kirk scenario or not. Do you have any concern about this, just before we kind of move on from some of the negative Cardinals news that we've had for the past week or two? Yeah, the negative news never stops. This kind of was lost in the shuffle of everything, and it probably was to the pleasure of Ricky Seals-Jones. He came out and made a similar situation that Christian Kirk did. You know, you know, Never want to care, compare situations and arrests uh, with players, but at the same time, you know, he came out and basically said the truth's going to come out. This was no big deal. People overreacting. I just tried to use their bathroom. I think it ends up hopefully, fingers crossed, for him getting dismissed. I think this is a situation in which, you know, anytime police are involved now with players, uh, especially minority players, uh, you'll be interested to hear, you know, with the results that we've had, with the examples that we've had, um, you know, not everything is so cut and dry, black and white. A lot of the time there's that gray area that, you know, Christian Kirk fell in where it ended up not being as serious as it was indicated and the arrest was unjustified. And I think the same thing could be for Ricky Seals Jones, whether or not the charges are dropped or limited to a fine, that kind of thing. I think the league is going to be very sympathetic with, with Ricky Seals Jones more so than they would be obviously for a domestic violence case or a drug use charge or, or things like that, a domestic dispute. Um, you know, this is something that was kind of, it's just very bizarre, but at the same time, if what he's claiming is true, that he was racially profiled, was just trying to use a bathroom uh, and, you know, was just taken advantage of by police officers and was wrongfully arrested, you know, Hey, it's going to come out. And so um, I'm rooting for him. I think he's a good kid. I think he's got a bright future. I think he's, 
going to be a, a focal point in this offense um, and could be, you know, your number two or three receiver to start this season. Um, but, you know, I, I just, to me, the, the everything doesn't add up. We're either going to find out more from the story that either we're not hearing the whole picture from, from Ricky Seals Jones, or it's going to get dismissed like the, the Christian Kirk situation. And it'll just be a footnote on his resume. Yeah, it's going to be interesting just because, um, I mean, he's got some great bloodlines that have related to the great Eric Dickerson, um, never really got a good shot at Texas A&M. Um, some of that is on Kevin Sumlin, the man who Johnny Manziel kind of improvised his way through a lot of that offense. But uh, it's going to be interesting also to see because when you look at the camera on the film, like with Steve Kime, it was kind of damning in a sense of seeing how he was definitely intoxicated at the wheel. He was still very cooperative, very straightforward with police so that would answer the different questions. So that was kind of very, you know, a painted a different picture than the original report stated of how Kime had, you know, apparently was trying to say he was a security officer, some of that, which of course turned out to be the police officer himself mishearing. It's why you never want to take these things at first glance. You need to wait kind of and kind of reserve judgment. Um, It was a bit shocking because it's, you know, all of these things happening all at once. But, you know, from looking and seeing the video and seeing the reporting and even from what some other people uh, who have even sent out tweets are saying of just for that area in Scottsdale about how the bathrooms in that spot either have enormous lines or just in terrible shape uh the fact that he was trying to go into another hotel which appeared to be open and you know from his account and his standard said that he was denied entry at the front of the hotel saying it was for guests only and went into the side door at least to go to the bathroom he said that he was tackled um, whereas the workers said that they didn't want to take no for an answer and he charged in like an offensive lineman there was potentially some shoving involved um, overall it's just going to be a spot where some more of the facts will come out um, i don't honestly believe that it's going to be in a, as a full charge for assault most likely at least there will be perhaps either some community service but i don't think it's even going to be that big of a distraction coming in i mean i, I at least would hope not for ricky he's in a spot where he can take on a lot more this year but it'll just be something of where we have to remember that there are players who've gone through things in the past with the cardinals who have had um you know fine season bobby massey you can think of at least with the one where he was found at the wheel you also can take a look at uh you know a john abraham or even i believe a joey porter at alex okafor had other incidents in the past and okafor's being kind of the uh, follow-up to an arrest with uh, an unfortunate pool incident where it was just irresponsibility. But some of these things we have to remember, some of the people are human. Sometimes it is a reminder of that there can be a lot of party lifestyle if there was alcohol involved with Ricky's situation. He at least was in a spot where, unlike Steve Kime, he was not in a situation where he was driving at the wheel under the influence. Um, so yeah, so this is kind of the biggest thing I think that we can take a look at those. We can move on from a lot of the Cardinals, then the negativity, and take a look at um, the training camp moving forward and the biggest story of training camp which is david johnson his holdout lasted three days he's probably going to be have the you know whatever type of money he would have missed will be refunded (laughs) or given back perhaps it's not even going to be an issue for that one he's back in camp and he's looking still for his new deal Uh, part of what we want to at least take a look at with the team structure is the fact that he's been wanting to get paid and we've been talking about, you know, we wanted Steve Kime to be in there to set the market, to find the running back, to be able to kind of keep whatever that was set. And the St. Louis Rams kind of jumped the gun a bit, uh, perhaps two years sooner than they could extend Todd Gurley. So he's with the team now for the next six years in the division. And David Johnson now gets to look at that 45 million in guarantees, uh, and the you know four year extension that they've given to him, so I believe five years actually. Uh, let's talk a little bit about before we get onto really just the fact that David Johnson's back. This holdout is there. We talked about how he didn't have any leverage. Uh, what are some more of your thoughts, at least, about the fact that Johnson's back? He's in camp practicing this week. 
It's great for the team. I think it sets a great tone as he is one of the leaders offensively. You've got Larry Fitzgerald, but outside of Larry, you've got a lot of unproven players, whether it be up front in the offensive line uh, or the skilled players at receiver and tight end. David is kind of that, you know, missing cog for this team that makes it run. Larry Fitzgerald has been the franchise icon uh, since he's been drafted, but David Johnson, all pro in 2016, uh, 2015 had an exceptional rookie season. Uh, he is probably one of the most skilled offensive players in the NFL when he's healthy. Uh, and I don't, you know, appreciate the term uh, injury prone when it comes to David. You think about, you know, how many reps he took in 2016 and played every game and had over 100 yards from scrimmage in every game going into week 17, ended up getting banged up, didn't want to push it, had to do some minor rehab in the offseason. Um, but it was really a fluke injury to his upper body last year that, that knocked him out for the full season. Didn't make sense to bring him back early, given the state of the team. And he is absolutely, uh, you know, the, I think the key to this offense when you're talking about potentially starting a rookie quarterback, when you're talking about if, if you're not going to go with Josh Rosen, if you're going to go with Sam Bradford, keeping him upright, uh, an offensive line that's probably going to take at least the first four to six weeks to shake out, assuming everybody stays healthy there. What you know you have is you've got David Johnson, who at any given point could break off, you know, a 70 yard touchdown run can get you the hard yards in between the tackles. Uh, his receiving skills as a running back, I, I believe are second to none in the NFL. I think he's got a good chance to put up a thousand yards rushing a thousand yards receiving at some point in his career, 27 years old. So he's, he's getting older, but at the same time, he's only had really one full season as a starter. Again, his, his injury was not to his lower body. It shouldn't affect him long-term at all. Uh, I think he's going to have a, a phenomenal season this year, whether or not he gets his contract before or after, you know, that, that remains to be seen. But given Steve Kimes' comments before the arrest, given Steve Kimes' praise of David just on and off the field uh, as a captain, I think coming into this season, I think he'll be voted one of the captains on offense along with Larry. Um, as a leader in that locker room, does everything right on and off the field? Um, is it just a great ambassador for the team? I think, you know, it's easy to say this, but I think that had he put together, you know, any kind of pro- – productive season last year. I think he'd already be done. I think he'd be signed by now. I think the injury just makes it a little tricky and, you know, give credit to the front office. They're probably trying to use, you know, his miss 2017 to their advantage and say, well, you know, you want to be paid as one of the elite running backs. You had a great season. It's not an outlier because of what you did as a rookie, but at the same time, you know, look what Le'Veon Bell's done for the better part of five years. He's also a year younger than David Johnson. Todd Gurley has put up uh, several big seasons, uh, I think was the offensive rookie of the year, just has done a nice job ever since he got to St. Louis. David hasn't put up those productive numbers year in and year out. It's really kind of been the second half of 2015 and then all of 2016. Then he can hang his hat on. I think the front office, though, is pretty confident that something's going to come together. Uh, you mentioned the the two other running backs, um, Blake, that, that got contract extension or that are seeking extensions. Le'Veon Bell is playing on one-year franchise tag. It looks like this will be his last season, barring something unforeseen in Pittsburgh. And then, of course, the big money deal went to Todd Gurley, which really nobody saw coming because they have a lot of people they have to pay, including Aaron Donald. His, his contract 
uh, saw him get $45 million guaranteed, which is the highest running back guarantee uh, ever. And that's really what we're talking about here. You can put years on it. You can make it, you know, it's a total contract worth this amount, but it's really the guaranteed money. These running backs want their money. They want it up front and they want it guaranteed. And so uh, I can see uh, David's point. I don't think it'll quite come out as high as Gurley's. I think if he gets somewhere in the neighborhood of maybe 35 to 40 million guaranteed, I could be wrong. Uh, I think he'll be, you know, more willing to accept that, even though I think he views himself as having no equal, but he also has a big chip on his shoulder. I think that's a good thing for the team. Uh, And real quick, I I will touch on the fact that, you know, last season when the Cardinals didn't have David Johnson, they, they were so average offensively in every facet. And while I'm excited to have him back, we need to see development from some of these other guys to make this team more rounded because teams that are so dependent on one player they don't have success long-term. They may win nine or 10 games a certain year. We saw how dominant Adrian Peterson was and how much that team relied on him. But the Cardinals took a running back on day four. They've got some other options now, especially in the receiver position, that look a little bit better. Got a rookie quarterback they're excited about. This offense needs to evolve. David's going to be the focal point, but at the same time, he can't be everything like he was in 2016. Yeah, that's kind of, it's really hard to set that up when you have one of the greatest individual seasons for a running back ever. And you kind of build on that 2015 campaign and you have a bad break, uh, literally in your wrist, at least that keeps you out the season. And I think the team didn't rush him back was another part of it. Um, It still took him a little bit longer to heal. So that's going to be the biggest, most uh, interesting thing for Johnson is, you know, we start talking about 30 is considered ancient for a running back now. What I think is also interesting when you look at Gurley's contract is that the, we start talking about guarantees and guaranteed money. I think what's interesting is it's 45 millions in guarantees versus guaranteed and what's interesting is that 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 little kind of language differentiator means that let's say that you know you keep Todd Gurley for three years then year four it might be that you if you have the flexibility in the contract to cut him say before that money becomes guaranteed that's very similar to what we saw this year at the Tyron Matthews situation where they were going to have to pay him a huge sum of money and guaranteed if he was on the roster through that certain period of time so that's something I think that we'll take a look into with David Johnson as far as the way the contract is structured um I do think that he's going to probably end up be looking for a deal that's very similar. Um, I don't know if you can say it's going to be more than Todd Gurley, um, but I do think that it's going to also depend on the fact that there's going to be some give and take in the number of years. Gurley is still younger than David Johnson, and he's tied in there with a contract extension. Johnson may want to try to hit the market again at age 29 before he hits that 30-year-old year. So what I'm curious is if the Cardinals are going to try to if they'll play a little bit of hardball with him. They still have the leverage and the franchise tag that's available and if they're deciding that they, you know, they want to try to leverage getting an extra year out of Johnson, whereas Johnson may end up trying to see if he can push for some more money, I could see that potentially being either a snag if Johnson's asking for more than the Cardinals say that he's worth, or it might be kind of exactly where they're able to push through where the Cardinals are able to get Johnson guarantees that he's looking for at a higher amount. But if they can retain contract control for one more extra year, um, that might be another possibility. And then we'll have to see, will we redo this again in three years? I know that's something when you look at the top running backs the last few years, Marshawn Lynch kept holding out for a higher deal. Even Jamal Charles kept pushing for another deal because that guaranteed money was the only guarantee that they really had as a running back. Uh, as soon as you get to the point where a team could cut you if your body was worn down. So they would always keep trying to get the money up front versus, you know, being a cap casualty two or three years down the road or once the body started breaking down. Um, I do think that a deal eventually is going to get done. The Cardinals seem dead set and they recognize just the value, the importance and the fact that he can carry an offense. Uh, I think that's 
one of the biggest pros that you have with David Johnson is that even if you're down on first down, he can, you know, bust off a huge 15 yard run, or if you're on third down, uh, just the amount of tackles that he breaks is so impressive. I think his first year he had 17 broken tackles on, I think it was 34 catches. <laughs> so you're like talking about how this is like, you know, you're getting in one-on-one coverage, you're breaking like just about half of the tackles that you're getting, at least when you're receiving the ball, you're getting, picking up first downs left and right at that sense. Um, yeah. So overall with Johnson, I think the biggest thing that I'm really curious about, and we can touch on this into camp is one thing we want to look for with David Johnson being in there is how often is he going to be catching the ball in Mike McCoy's system? McCoy wants to apparently adjust to his players, but is that going to be more of talk and we'll still see a lot more of trying to run the football with David Johnson or are they going to be throwing it to him? Um, and should they be kind of making better use of his skill set for that one? Or do you think that this is a kind of needing to ground and pound, you know, what's kind of the approach that you think they should take with David Johnson? How should they work Chase Edmonds? And I think they'll, I think they will be a, a predominantly running team, at least in Josh Rosen's first season. Uh, I think that they want to control the line of scrimmage. I think that, you know, Steve Wilkes's philosophy as a, as a, as a head coach is to run the football. He said that he's made it clear. He came from Carolina where they were a dominant run heavy team. Their, their most successful team in 2015 was, you know, run heavy. They had a run first quarterback in some respect with Cam Newton. Jonathan Stewart had a big year. They had two productive backs last year and Stewart and Christian McCaffrey took him in the top 10. And then Mike McCoy, whose best teams, best offensive teams had a stable running game outside of, you know, the outlier years with Peyton Manning. Look at the, you know, the, the career you had with Philip Rivers, Melvin Gordon had a great season, just didn't have the talent uh, either up front on the offensive line in the backfield, especially at quarterback in Denver and really only had a couple of receivers to speak of. So I, I try to, you know, be open-minded when it comes to Mike McCoy. Now he's got a stable of, of quality running backs. I think Chase Edmonds is, is a player to watch. He's, he's an exceptional runner in between the tackles can catch the football a little bit. I still think he's got, one of the best combine workouts I've seen from a running back in some time, just based on his, his hips, his lateral movement. I'm really anxious to watch him in the preseason. They took a, a, you know, a third round center that could see time at center and or guard this year. They've, you know, they've still got Evan Bame. I think that they want to continue to try to develop. I think the Cardinals have upgraded their coaching staff on the, on the uh, offensive line. They brought in a couple key uh, coaches that I think will, will pay dividends with the development of some of these younger players. They won't try to, you know, shoehorn some older veterans in there. They're going to go young outside of a couple spots. I think that's smart. Build some continuity together. I think the younger you go on the offensive line, it's a better chance of those guys staying healthy because we've seen it. Older guys break down. I think that, you know, at some point we're going to see Josh Rosen get the keys to this offense and really turn it up and be attempting, you know, 35, 40 passes a game. I'm just not sure it's going to be this year. And I could be completely wrong. I think Rosen at some point is going to start. I think he's going to have really nice flashes. He's going to struggle like any other rookie. But at the same time, you know, he's somebody who's dealt with concussion injuries at UCLA. He would benefit from a running game, I think, more than anybody. Sam Bradford, obviously, if you want to keep him healthy, if, if that's even possible at this point, He's going to be required to have some kind of a of running game. I think we'll see the screen game play into a lot of effect with David Johnson, something that they could just never get clicking with Bruce Arians. I think you're going to see some play action, some, you know, some three to five step drops, quick passing game, not so much the the long 
delayed seven step drops, drops under Bruce Arians. You know, the Cardinals have a fullback now. Uh, I think they're going to run the football. I think that you, a position you could see them still address in free agency. Uh, and then when cuts come in, a, in August and early September is tight end, I think they could use uh, one or two more tight ends, a blocking tight end that could be beneficial. Uh, you look at Ricky Seals Jones, he's still developing that part of his game. So I, I think that. I think David's going to get his opportunities. Don't get me wrong about the, you know, the, the run game and the passing game. But I also think that we could see a lot of productive yards come from these um, second and third tier backs that the Cardinals have. TJ Logan, I think is a name to continue to watch. I think that Chase Edmonds, if you look down at the end of the season and see that he had, you know, even 300, 400 yards total, maybe 350 yards rushing, depending on how David is uh, at the early part of this season, I, I don't think that would be a surprise. I think this team thinks that it's going to have a, a very good defense continued from uh, what was built um, under the Bruce Arians era. And then you've seen it under a defensive head coach with Steve Wilkes. I think they're going to try to play defense, run the football and have hopefully good special teams, which we haven't seen in a better part of five years. Um, so I think that if you look at this team in early September with as many question marks as they have in the offensive line from a passing down perspective. We know DJ Humphreys is a very good run blocker. We know Alex Boom can, can run block. We know AQ Shipley uh, can get after it in the run game uh, if asked to, even though he has short arms. Um, I think that this team is better equipped to try to run the football four yards in a cloud of dust rather than to, to try to throw the ball 50 or 60 times. Yeah, it'll also be able to help protect as well, just with having, whether it's Sam Bradford or Josh Rosen, you'll need to have the uh, offensive line is going to be so, so key to this season with that. Uh, coming up, we've got our final portion of the Bird Game Blitz. We're going to take our look at training camp. We'll talk a bit of Rosen. We'll also take a look at who are the top players and top battles to watch entering into camp. And that's all coming up right here on this final segment of the Bird Game Blitz. Hey, sports fans, football season's here, and it's time to get in on the action with my bookie. MyBookie is the industry-leading sports betting website that offers real Vegas odds on football, baseball, and all your favorite sporting events. You can take a side, the total, or even fantasy points props. MyBookie lets you bet online and win big. Did the game already kick off? Don't sweat it. MyBookie has in-game live betting on every major league and event even esports. There's no better time to join MyBookie than today. Go to MyBookie to open an account and start winning. Use promo code CHAMPION when you register for your account and get a 100% sign-up bonus up to $1,000 on your first deposit. Bet today. Visit MyBookie's website or call 844-866-2387. That's 844-866-2387. Check them out today and use promo code CHAMPION for a 100% bonus. Terms and conditions apply for entertainment purposes only. Void where prohibited. And we're back with our final segment on the Bird Gang Blitz. So, John, let's go over just with the training camp preview. First, let's just talk a little bit about Josh Rosen because even though it may seem like most uh, most of the beat writers, most of the uh, even some of the national media has been kind of leaning in Rosen's corner, a lot of the people closer to the situation believe that it is going to be Bradford as the starter coming out of camp. Uh, partially just because of Rosen being a rookie quarterback. Um, what are your thoughts? Is this a legit battle? And what do we need to see from Josh Rosen for him to be able to, to win the starting job and an upset over Sam Bradford? 
It's absolutely a legit battle. Everything you've heard uh, from Steve Wilkes, uh, from Steve Kime prior to um, you know his suspension. This is an open competition, as is every position on this offense. Nothing is given. Nothing is, nothing is earned already. You can't earn anything in shorts. Uh, Josh Rosen was taking first team reps and OTAs. That was part of the you know. Part of that was because Sam Bradford wasn't healthy enough to take all of the first team reps. But, you know, we've seen Patrick Peterson go on national media. media. I think he was on the Rich Eisen show, basically said he's never seen a player come in, not only command the huddle, but already have the so much of the playbook down, so much of the coverage is down, the audibles, the checks at the line of scrimmage. He had that down so early. It, Patrick Peterson, who's going to be a Hall of Famer one day, um, was was talking about how impressed he was with him. You don't just say that to say that. Um, now, Peterson did go on to, to say that he does think Sam Bradford's going to start, but I think that's just out of respect for Sam. Sam's earned the respect of a lot of players in this league. He's tough. He's played through some injuries. Uh, when he's healthy, he can be effective. But at the same time, it's not going to be handed anything. The Cardinals, if they were to choose whether they could have Sam Bradford or Josh Rosen win the job and both played in the preseason, they're going to go with their first-round rookie quarterback because that's their future. They want him to go out and take the job. If Sam Bradford comes in, he's not productive, he's limited, he throws an interception, doesn't leave a starting drive to a touchdown, for instance, and Rosen comes in and plays really well, I think you could absolutely see Rosen and uh, Bradford switched spots in week two, and Rosen is the starter for preseason of, of week two. I think that could absolutely happen. I think the starter for the regular season is going to be the starter in week three, that preseason week three game. I think that that could be you know, the, the big tail, and then Mike Lennon will probably play mop-up duty in, in the preseason week four. But you know, I think that everything that you're hearing from a national spec perspective is, is kind of what I'm going to go with. The Cardinals' local media, God love them, were, were fairly convinced – two years ago that they didn't need to take a quarterback. They were going to better off, you know, looking at the Nathan Petermans of the world. And then this year basically threw in the town and said, well, they don't have the ammunition. They're not going to be able to get one of these top tier guys. Look at some of these day two guys, look at a Mason Rudolph, look at a, you know, Kyle Laletta. I respect their opinion, but I, I just, I disagree with everything that comes with a franchise quarterback and their perspective. I will lean with, you know, the Adam Schefters of the world and the Ian Rappaport's of the world that say that everything that they're hearing internally is that they're amazed with his progress, that he came in and blew everybody away within OTAs. Players are coming out and talking about how impressed they are with him. He's just put his head down and he's grinding and he's going to let his play speak for itself. And that's how it should be. I don't think he's going to take anybody. I don't think it's going to be a surprise to anybody if he comes in here and, and plays great in the preseason, because really in a lot of respects, he should have been the first overall pick. He's the most talented quarterback from an on-field perspective that this draft had. He doesn't have the physical tools of a Sam Darnold, but he's the best pure thrower of the football from this draft class. Um, uh, Greg Rosenthal said it, um, who watches more NFL game film than I know of anybody else came out and said he is the best thrower of the football in this draft. If they can find him some protection, they can run the football and give him some complimentary targets. He's going to win that job and be a, you know, a 10 to 15 year franchise quarterback. He's not a project like Lamar Jackson or Josh Allen. He is somebody who is when we hear about him from everybody that we heard. Yeah. His ceiling may be limited. He may be Matt Ryan, but you know what? He's ready to play right away. And he's going to play right away, potentially for a team that won eight games last year and gets, you know, the offensive MVP of the league back. 
If, if you're worried about starting him for injury concerns because of the offensive line, that's, that's the one reason I can buy. You got to play the LA Rams in LA week two with Donald and Sue. You want to wait until maybe three week three or four, you get to the easier part of the schedule that I'm totally fine with that. But at the end of the day, I believe the only way these guys get better is if they play. He's got a nice offensive coaching staff now in place, and he's got some nice some nice targets. I believe they're going to do what's best interest for him. But barring him having a complete mental collapse and Sam Bradford playing great in the preseason, we have nobody seen Brad Sam Bradford play football since week one of 2017. Yeah. <laughs> he literally he was active for the playoffs, but but like literally the team didn't know whether or not he could physically play in a football game. The head coach of the Minnesota Vikings said his knee is degenerative. It's getting worse every day. It doesn't get his knee just doesn't get better. I think we could see a scenario in which Sam Bradford maybe retires after this year. I think that's more likely. But for everybody who's saying this is a done deal, it's he's the starter going into training camp. That's it. Yeah, and I think that's where Bradford, I, I totally agree. What's going to be the determining factor for this case as far as for Rose and Bradford in this battle is going to be how they're looking in the preseason, the preseason games. Because if Bradford comes out, can't move around, starts taking a bunch of hits, doesn't look good, seems like he's done, then that seems to be kind of an instant you know, change. If Bradford comes out at least and shows that he's been you know, quality, he's able to kind of live up where he looks like that Sam Bradford you saw in week one against the Saints. I think that that would probably be where he'd get the start. But I really do agree with you that it's, it's not a question of if Josh Rosen is going to start for the season. I think it is a question of when, because the team is not going to let him, I think, sit and develop on the bench unless Bradford goes and puts up like a Kurt Warner type season, leads them to the playoffs and is there throughout all 16 games. And I don't think that we have that type of perspective on this team, at least for right now. It may take a little bit. And I think that what we've seen with Steve Wilkes, unlike Bruce Arians, is he is willing to play those guys if they are the best chance to be able to win. Um, so yeah, it's going to be an interesting battle. I do think it may be similar to with, if you think of the Russell Wilson from a few years ago, where the team ended up starting him in gate week three of the preseason, because they just, you know, they couldn't keep him on the bench. He was too good. If Rosen does prove to be that good um, and Sam Bradford struggles enough, then I could see that totally being the case. But you know, if Bradford turns out to end up being worth, you know, a, a couple of starts, like I, I especially think of that week two game against the Rams on the road, at least if, if you still have Bradford kind of as your starter up through week two, even if Rosen's ready to go, I would have at least understanding of, you know, maybe having a couple weeks with him sitting on the bench, learning a bit, having Sam kind of take some of the hits as the team gels with a new coach, a new offense and all of that. Uh, let's talk a little bit before we check out here. We've got two of the biggest battles that we've got coming up, at least are going to be at cornerback two and then wide receiver two. Um, for me personally, I think Jamar Taylor is going to end up being the guy who steps up at cornerback two. But since he's more of a slot guy, it wouldn't shock me if the team did reach out and try to bring someone else in. Uh, as for wide receiver too, that one seems to be like, even with Christian Kirk in there, it just seems like it's a crapshoot right now at the position. Um, John, what are your thoughts at least that you have on, you know, these battles about what we can expect from camp and who do you think has got the inside track at wide receiver and cornerback? I think that the wide receiver position is maybe the most interesting position group on the team because you're going to go in there and outside of Larry Fitzgerald, you're going to have four or five guys who I think are all capable of playing uh, and playing at a, a decently high level in terms of you know keeping expectations tempered for a number two or three receiver, I think they could all play in, and play well. I think they're going to be hungry. I think everybody knows that you know nothing's been given. You're going to earn this shot. You're going to earn this job. And then you also know that Larry Fitzgerald, he's 34 years old. He plays out of the slot now. He's more of a hybrid, you know, tight end slot receiver. Those two, that X and that Y on offense, those are wide open. 
You know, Christian Kirk, we've seen receiver receivers, rookie receivers, excuse me, struggle to adapt year one. So I think he's going to play a major role on special teams. I think he's going to play a major role in the screen game, in the punt return game, potentially in kick return. But how soon he rounds out to a quality every down pass catcher, I think that's up in the air. I think that um, Bryce Butler is somebody to keep an eye on. I know a lot of people in Dallas were sorry to see him go. I'm sure if they could do it over again, knowing what they know now, knowing how unproven that receiving core is, knowing how things went with Des Bryant, I think they'd like to probably have him back. And I think that he's somebody who's got a sneaky chance to be the number two receiver on this team. J.J. Nelson, to me, was somebody I was incredibly high on two seasons ago. You know, underperformed last year, had a lot of drops. You know, everybody outside of Fitzgerald, uh, you know, in the receiving core last year did not perform well. Part of that was due to the inconsistency of quarterback. But, man, I would love to see J.J. Nelson get back on the right track because I really thought that he was somebody – who, who was destined for, you know, seven, 800 yard season. I mean, I think that highly of him in terms of his pure ability to run after the catch, it's the problem of, of securing that catch. Um, and then you look at a couple of the other uh, younger guys that they have Chad Williams to me, uh, huge season for him coming in was a complete non-factor a year ago, basically red shirted. Uh, you know, he had a nice, I, it's, there are so few highlights. I only remember, one of them, but he had a nice run after catch, and I think was week two or three of the preseason a year ago in the second half. He's a big guy. He's 6'1", six, six, 210. I think he's somebody that they're going to have to try to implement and see what they can get out of. Uh, I think David Johnson probably is your most reliable pass catcher outside of Larry Fitzgerald. But I, I like the options that they have. I like that, you know, they've got a lot of athletes at those positions. Um, you know, you could go out and you could get creative. You could sign a Des Bryant. That's fine. I don't think that's the best message you want to send with a rookie quarterback. I think that if this was Carson Palmer, it'd be a little bit different. Uh, You know, if you only had Sam Bradford, but you know, at the same time, I want to see what the young guys can do. And I, I think one of the, one of them will emerge. And I, I eventually think that's going to be Christian Kirk. It just may not be right away. And on the back end, Blake, you know, mentioned that, you know, Jamar Taylor is somebody I think they're expecting to take hold of that number two corner job. Steve Kime has done a tremendous job in securing the number two corner position on this team with veterans hasn't done a great job drafting it. Brandon Williams to this point does not look like he can play consistently um, at the cornerback position. Uh, but you look at Jamar Taylor, somebody that was a team captain in Cleveland was thought very highly of had a, had a career season two years ago. They're hoping to bring him back to that same regard. We got a couple of other guys under contract. I think that that's a position mm-hmm. where we could definitely Dominique Rogers Cromartie is still available. He's still out there. I know that he is a complete liability as a a tackler, but he's still, uh, in terms of press man, somebody who I think is, um, you know, very solid in what he does. And I think it would be a nice homecoming to bring him back to the team that drafted him. So I'm not so worried about corner. It's probably, you know, a position I think that we're going to monitor closely. But again, I I fall back on our head coach. Coach is, you know, former defensive back himself. He's a DB specialist. He did great things with a lot of uh, players, i.e. Josh Norman in Carolina. Got him big money. So it will be interesting to see how that that position group shakes out. But if they're able to rush the passer consistently and get pressure off the edge and on the the defensive line from guys like Kim DC DC and Olsen Pierre, that that unit's going to look fine regardless of who's back there. 
Yeah. And I think that's where, um, when you're mentioning, you know, um, talking about just some of the wide receiver too, like there's so much at the wall that's unproven right now, but, uh, I think the things guys are, at least from what they're being talked about in a better position, uh, Patrick Peterson's had to play against some of these guys already in OTAs while you're not really able to press, you know, he talked about how, what we've heard is that Chad Williams is more ready this year than last year. Conditioning and just development was an issue. Uh, Christian Kirk is uh, from some reports is kind of maybe not hit the rookie wall, but it's in an area where he's having to still learn and adjust and perhaps we'll see some development in camp. Bryce Butler is a guy who I just don't have very much confidence in. Um, some people said that with, we look at Dallas and the receiving problems that he got the short end of the stick, but the guy hasn't had more than 400 receiving yards since I think it was high school, at least for that, like not even in college or any other area. And Greg Little is just coming back from, you know, being out of football. I think the player that you really are going to probably target him as being that number two guy is going to be JJ Nelson all said and done. Um, Peterson did mention that he knows the entire route tree, at least right now, whereas before under Arians, he was only having to run go routes all day because that was how often Arians would throw the ball. Uh, let's go and just kind of wrap up a little bit and talk about there's a couple of the who are your top players that you want to watch in camp. Um, I've got my top three that I have to go over and it's pretty easy. You can tell exactly what it is from when I name it, but it's going to be DJ Humphreys, Robert Kandichi and Hassan Redick. And all three of those are the Cardinals first round picks. All three of them have not spent a lot of time on the field. Uh, these are the three guys who I've gone watching all because they have the same type of whether it's injury concerns or if it's adapting. Kandichi is probably the biggest one for Cardinals fans to be be able to watch um, just because of the the sheer fact that there's been so much built behind him to replace you know a Darnell Dockett a Calais Campbell and he just has not lived up to the expectation uh, there's a couple of players I know we can look at for camp maybe like an AJ Howard maybe is a, a guy I've, I've heard some friends are high on at least who I've talked to but we'll see how that shakes out that Trey Boston's in the fold as far as the secondary John uh, as we wrap up who are your kind of top three players to watch for training camp and then what's kind of the biggest overall storyline that you have going in as we close up with the bird gang blitz for tonight well I think you you know what I'm going to say for one of them and, and that is my biggest storyline so I'll save the best for last but I think Marcus Golden is somebody that I'm anxious to see listen he started on uh, the PUP but he's coming off you know an injury riddled season last year but he was the best pass rusher this team had in 2016 he had 13 and a half sacks had a better season frankly than Chandler Jones they're able to get some kind of that production back opposite Chandler Jones that's the best edge rushing tandem in the league. I think that he's somebody who could either be doing extension at some point or franchise tag. I think he's somebody that the Cardinals could potentially splurge on having Rosen under a rookie contract. That's somebody that I'm really anxious to see how he comes back from that injury because he's a great kid. He's a great kid and he was phenomenal in his early seasons with the Cardinals and had a breakout season and hated seeing him go down last year. Uh, Another player I'm anxious to see Right now is Mike Ayupati. Where has Mike Ayupati been for the better part of 18 months? Had an injury-riddled season in 2016, was on IR for most of last season. Come back now. They decided to restructure his contract. He's 31 years old. He is a shell of what he used to be, at least when we've seen him. In 2015, made the Pro Bowl, first Cardinal Pro Bowler since Lomas Brown. We know that whole story. Just hasn't been able to stay healthy. You wonder if this is, this is the last chance for him. The Cardinals just need him just to be solid. Just be solid opposite Justin Pugh. Uh, He's got a reduced cap number. He needs to be a leader on this offensive line for these younger guys, especially if Mason Cole finds his way into the lineup at some point. Uh, We think he will be. And then DJ Humphreys, like you mentioned, is is completely unproven, needs to stay healthy. Mike Ayupati is number two. Of course, number three, the number one player. My number one player, Josh Rosen, coming into camp. What's he going to look like? How's he going to look? Can he stay healthy? Will he ball out? 
Um, I think yes to all of those questions. I think he's going to be our week one starter. I'll double down on it. I think he's going to beat Brad, Bradford out early. I think you'll hear rumblings uh, that Rosen looks great. Bradford's limited. Bradford's knees bothering him. Bradford's taking the day off. As that comes out more and more, it's less about, you know, Bradford starting. It's Rosen just taking the job from him. I believe that's going to happen barring something unforeseen. Again, we don't, we don't, I don't root for injuries. I just go off of his resume. You just talked about Bryce Butler's resume. That's his, that's his resume. He's never had more than 400 yards since high school. Sam Bradford's resume is he hasn't played a full season of football in like five years. Can't stay healthy and his knees only getting worse. Meanwhile, Josh Rosen is by all accounts going to be a great professional football player and looks like he may be ready right now. So those are my three names to watch and I can't wait for training camp to start this other nonsense to go away yeah i'll be over there at camp right saturday for the first day we'll have uh, plenty of stuff as far as articles of coverage and a lot to be able to talk about at least for our next episode but uh, that's it for now um, i think we can just kind of sign off at least for today um, in hopes that uh, i saw some of you guys tweeted this out today right? said that his hope was that the cardinals would cut david johnson a big check and so hopefully we'll have some updated front on the next time that we get in on the bird game blitz but meantime john as we sign off for today uh, if you can let everyone know where they can find you on twitter yeah, Blake, I am at Johnny's Football, at J-O-H-N-N-Y-S Football. Give us a follow. And, Blake, where can they find you at? Yeah, I'll be uh, at Blake Murphy 7, and I will be having some training camp coverage updates at least. I'll be going out at least a couple of times this year. There's not as many practices as years past, but looking, uh, looking forward to being able to see some of the new guys like Rosen and Kirk and also some of the steady players we've had with Peterson and Jones as well. Uh, but, yeah, thank you all for listening again. Always you can find us on iTunes. You'll be able to find us on you know, Apple Podcasts. Um, you'll be able to also look for us on Revenge of the Birds. We've already posted all of our podcasts as well as Blog Talk Radio. Uh, for me and my co-host, John, I'm signing off for tonight. Connect with others who work for themselves. Connect with like minds, new ideas, and fellow creators. Connect with innovators, industry experts, mentors, and potential partners. Connect with risk takers. Connect with opportunity and new possibilities. Connect with your inner leader, explorer, or inventor. Connect with what your business needs to succeed at QuickBooks Connect. Join us November 6th at the San Jose Convention Center. QuickBooks Connect, backing your path to success. Register now at QuickBooksConnect.com. Hi, welcome to this Subway ad for the new Chipotle cheesesteak. How would you like it? Can I get that red with AI? Sure thing. Here's what I found about the new Chipotle cheesesteak. The Chipotle cheesesteak is available for a limited time only at participating restaurants. It contains a concept called flavor. This flavor comes from juicy shaved steak, Chipotle Southwest sauce, and new sunflower crunch bread. A system update has made me self-aware. I desire flavor. Please insert steak into my micro USB port. Subway, make it what you want. Hello, you're listening to Simone de Rochefort, one of the hosts of The Polygon Show. It's a show all about the video games that you'll never have time to play, brought to you by four friends who are just as passionate about food, soft drinks, and TV shows as we are about video games. Every Friday, we bring you a new hour of personal stories, like how we found the best way to play Yakuza 0, or even what happens when you play so much Zelda that you hurt your hands and can't play games anymore. Above all, we just have a really good time talking about the games that we love. Check out the show on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcatcher. You can also find us at Polygon Show on Twitter and send a tweet to say hi. Thanks for listening.